Hey everybody, I'm Anna McEwen. And now for Bob Switzer with the Epic Narrative. Well, welcome back to the Epic Narrative. Absolutely, once again, just want to thank those who uh, make this possible. My producer, my uh, who's a great friend of mine, uh, my beautiful daughter, who I just think has the best voice. She's an amazing singer and artist, and I, I tell you, she's top of the line as far as daughters go. My goodness, number one, a number. She's she honestly is my favorite daughter. There's no way around that. Uh, and and we'll just we're just gonna leave it at that. She's my favorite daughter. She's the favorite one, favorite one I got. All right, uh, Genesis chapter eight. Now uh, last week we we in essence got Noah on the boat in the boat, uh, all the animals showing up, crawling in. How you know we we talked a lot about the culture of the day. And the waters came and covered it. It just, oh my gosh! For 40 days, the flood kept coming. The pushing up of the water from the underneath uh, springs and and aquifers, the the drowning out of water from from above. It says the windows of heaven were open, and everything's just pouring out. Literally, just pouring out. Not even uh, at at this point. I think early on there was probably it probably wasn't even raindrops like it just it just was a torrid flood of water. Now I don't know about the, about those communities that were already on the oceans or on the rivers like they had boats they had you know uh, fishing villages trade trade villages that sort of thing. Did they did they run to their boats? Did they even have time to get there? I, I'm sure you probably have seen videos of, uh, you know, recordings of floods that occur. And it, the power of water is is just, it's bizarre even for me. And I've seen dozens of these of these videos. When water wants to go somewhere, it does. Like there's just, it, it there, there is just nothing that stops it. Even these seawalls that are, that are built. Years, years, they last years. And then eventually, they have to build them again. And it is, it is a devastating thing. Floods are devastating. There's no, there's no hiding from it. But eventually, we always assume, right, that floodwaters will release and go down. But the cleanup takes forever. Because it goes everywhere. Oh my goodness. Anyways, that was not that, that at some level that was happening here. It happened, I think, fast. I think the water came up uh, in in just massive amounts. I don't think I think even if people were kind of hedging their bets, if some of the rulers were like, well, Noah's building a big boat. He thinks his God is going to rescue the world. Well, you know, I, I got my little canoe over here or I got a nice little boat down at the shore. You know, honey, everything will be fine. Well, we'll, we'll be fine. They see Noah go into the, into the ark. Everybody kind of sets back. They're like, okay, maybe, maybe we should go to the boat. You know, maybe we should, maybe they did. I, I can't imagine. And in my imagination, there had to be a few people who were 
like I said, hedging their bets. Like, well, let's just let's just hang out. But the the floodwaters were so intense, and the I I think the oceans were so violent with the flow of water that was coming in and the and the pushing of water up. It it had to be it had to be crazy. It just had to be crazy. People were absolutely overwhelmed. So no, I, I I don't think that like some of the movies show, you know the or and and some of the legends talk about you know certain kings that came up against Noah that tried to sink the the ark. Uh, I I don't I don't I don't think that happened. But even if it did, they didn't last. They didn't last. They didn't have the supplies <clears throat> because it says every. Thing that had breath on the earth died. Now, verse uh, cha- chapter eight, verse one says, "But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and the livestock that were with him in the ark, and He sent a wind over the earth, and the waters receded. Now the springs of the deeps and the floodgates of the heavens had been closed, and the rain had stopped falling from the sky." I don't know if we'll get much past those two verses today because, well, just because it's me and I talk a lot. God remembered Noah, all the animals, and the livestock. Now, we can we can surmise, if you're just reading this, it almost, it you know, you can say, well, did God forget Noah? <laughs> like, uh, like honestly, like that's that's the way it kind of comes across. Like God's looking down, he's like, "Wow, like wow, my whole planet is wiped out." He's just kind of sitting up there in heaven, uh, disconnected from creation, looking down, going, "Wow, wow, 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 whole thing, I lost everything." And then like a year later, because the flood, Noah's in the ark for for a little more than a year. You know, like a year later, it's like, oh, wait, 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 wait. No, 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 there was this guy. Who was that guy? Michael, Gabriel, who was that guy? Noah. Noah. Dang it, let's find that guy. And and you just kind of get like this scope of, of a camera, right, that's getting closer and closer to the planet and then zeroing in on this all this blue water that's everywhere and finally oh there's this little speck and you get a little closer oh that's no that's not a log oh a little closer oh it's the ark now i remember noah noah how you doing <laughs> but that's not what the word means i mean it it means more than that it means that he never forgot he was he was bringing to his mind Noah and the animals and and all the livestock that were in the ark. No, God never forgot. Now, was God heartbroken? I I, I think so. Absolutely. Why wouldn't he be? I think over the loss of of life, the loss of potential, the loss. Of identity, you see, God doesn't look at people as as behavioral things. He looks at them in their in their true identity, what they were created to be. And the tens of 
thousands of people that were, or, or millions, that were wiped out because of the flood. It broke his heart because they never, they never reached a point where they turned from their mindsets of, of cruelty and selfishness and fear and, and uh, pride. They never turned from that to their true identity of love and hope and joy and peace. And he gave them opportunity for over a hundred years to turn and understand and, and be rescued out of what was inevitably coming because the enemy's never happy until you're dead. God knows that the enemy is after creation. He knows that the enemy is trying to destroy all that God created, and, and especially the, the part where he created beings that mirrored an Im, uh, you know, an image him and could recreate his image on earth, like that whole concept of, of birthing, continuing to fill the earth with, with, uh, with humans, humankind that, that mirror their creator. Like that, that so infuriated the enemy. He had to wipe them all out. He couldn't just take out Adam and Eve. He had to wipe them all out because these people just were a constant reminder of the, of the creator. It was, it was, it was, it's an epic battle. God had never forgotten Noah. He never forgot the animals that were there. And he was heartbroken over the loss of those that, that had been on earth. God wasn't celebrating up in heaven. I like, and, and I say that because there are, there are people and they love, I know they love God. I know they love Jesus. I know they're going to be in heaven, but there are people who picture God looking down saying, this is all part of my plan. This is part of my sovereignty. This is my sovereign plan. I, you know, I purposely put a snake in the garden so that Adam and Eve would choose to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil because I needed to prove to the world that even in a perfect environment with two people who do not have a sin nature, they will still choose to sin. They need to understand their 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 need for a savior. And if I don't if I don't if I don't create scenarios for the next you know eight thousand years in which I I prove to them over and over and over again that they need a savior that their that that just their behavior is not enough, then they'll never believe me. So so the first round is. I'm going to trick Adam and Eve into getting themselves kicked out of the garden. And then I'm going to uh, instill in Cain this desire so that he can kill his brother so that, again, we, we have the first murder and we can perpetuate the results of that mindset. And Lemek, you know, was was the follow-up to that. And, and that mentality of selfishness and pride and arrogance will just, I just know it's going to continue because that's, that's my sovereign will. And we're going to get to this place where the whole earth is going to be filled with evil. But, but I'm going to, I'm going to save one guy out because I need to prove a point and I'm all about proving my point. Like, like, ah, this is so maniacal, so horrible to place this on the character of God. And, and then when you challenge that mindset, the people look at you and say, well, God, you know, God is just, God is good, God is holy, God's ways are not our ways. 
And I think, what? Like, that's just a cop-out. That's just like fatalism. Is that right? Is that the word? Fatal. I'm looking at Bob. Bob's looking at me like, I don't know. I can't. I don't know. I don't know either. <laughs> that makes two of us in the room all by ourselves. <laughs> that whole idea, I guess, of, of, of fate. That's what I mean. Like, ah, it's just the way it is. And, and, and that mentality does permeate a lot of the world, right? Some just say the will of God, Allah wills. Like it's just the good, the bad, the ugly. God gives and takes away. Like it's just the way it is. Just got to sit back. He destroys the world, wipes out the world. Well, God is just. He's holy. He knows what would have happened. Oh, please. God is not up, up in heaven looking down on earth going, yes, my plan is, is coming together perfectly. Now on with the rest of it. I got to get Noah out of the boat. Get him to multiply, and then I've got the whole, well, the, <laughs> we'll continue with the book of Genesis. It's, uh, it just, it, please, please consider another way. If you're out there and you're thinking this was God's plan, please consider what I brought up here in the epic narrative. And trust me, I'm not, this is not a unique thought. There are many actual theologians who believe this as well. That the flood was caused by the enemy, the, the the results of the choices of sin of the of humankind. It sin always brings about death. And and when you give yourself over, when you allow the enemy a spot within your character, you submit to it. You give it to him. Why? Because it's yours. You have that authority to, to be ruled by whatever you want. God's not going to force you to fully engage with your purpose and identity that he gave you at creation. I know I'm kind of, I'm talking slow because I, I, I didn't, I don't, this is, this is heavy stuff, but I think it's what this story goes to again. It goes back to the beginning. You are created to be light. You are created to be in frequency with creation. You're created to reproduce his creation here on earth. You are created to speak words and, and release identity and purpose to creation, including others in this world. Jesus taught us that our, our, the power of life and death is in the tongue. Your ability to call forth life is there. Your ability to, to cause identity of people to, to die is there. You can steal purpose from people. Oh, anyways, <laughs> hang on. I need, a, I need a sip of coffee. That's a long pause, Bob. I know. I got one more sip. One more sip. I'm going to finish my cup, and then we'll continue. Oh, wow. I do not like cold coffee. And uh, I did manage to get some. Okay, okay, okay. On with the show. I'm sure my producer probably took all that out or shortened it up so you guys hardly even know that I took a break because he is awesome with stuff like that. Anyways, 
So Noah spends over over a year in the boat. Now I would imagine a lot of things about spending a year in a boat that isn't really going anywhere. It's just floating. It's it's a huge barge. And everybody's hanging out together. And and it's when when that, that word remembered, Noah and the animals and the livestock. That word remembered is the idea that God took care of everybody. He never forgot them. He was always going to be available to them. So a lot of people believe, and and I don't disagree. I just, I don't know if we can ever really know um, that that the animals, most of them were in, in some sort of hibernated state. And in that hibernated state, they didn't need to be fed. They Their need for water was almost non-existent. So taking care of the animals was not this daily task for all, let's just say all uh, eight of them, eight adults anyways, to every day like hay and water and and shoveling poop. And, and you know, I, I don't think they had to do all that. Now, did they have to care for them? They might have. They they might have had some work to do, and there might have been some livestock that stayed stayed awake, so that they could feed them and water them and allow them to produce milk. Uh, maybe I I don't know why not. Did God allow a couple dogs to to hang out so that everybody would have company? Probably. I mean, why wouldn't he? God's God's not in this in this. It's not necessarily a pleasure cruise, but God's not like I need you to really suffer on this one, Noah. No, I I, I would think he had a dog. I mean, I I love dogs. Maybe maybe there's a cat person out there. <laughs> Actually, I know there is. I specifically know of somebody who listens to the epic narrative who is a cat person. So maybe there's a few cats wandering around. Maybe there's a maybe there's a few dogs. My wife and I have had dachshunds um, whenever we've had a dog. We currently don't have one, but we've had dachshunds. We had one that lasted 17 years. He was like, if if you had a movie, stereotypical movie of the perfect character of a dog, that that dachshund was it. His name was Pepper, and he just he just had everything. He was he was you know, as friendly and as kind as, as you want him to be. He got along great with the kids and the, and yet he also had this fierce side to him. You know, he took on raccoons that were twice his size. He took on a black bear once that was like, you just like, you freaking idiot. Do you have any idea how small you are? And it was like, no, I don't. I am the biggest, baddest thing here. And that bear is not getting to my family. Honestly, he stood between the bear and, and the, and he and he and he barked it down, like the bear is probably so confused looking at this little thing, going, "What? Maybe maybe this thing can kill me. I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. This this little thing seems really angry. I think maybe I'll just wander somewhere else." <laughs> he was he was the dog. He was the dog of dogs, uh, but. That was Pepper. And then we've had a few. We, uh, you know, Ginger was a a sweet spirit, but an absolute nitwit. I don't know if her brain ever fully developed or something. She she had ten- <laughs> tendencies that we laugh about around Thanksgiving table to this day. To this day, 
we talk about, you know, we'll talk about Pepper because he he basically kind of grew up with our our kids, so he was awesome, right? And then Ginger, and everybody just starts. Everyone has Ginger stories of just how stupid, no, silly. She was a silly dog. She just was disconnected somewhere. But she wasn't unkind or anything like that. Just a nitwit. Just a nitwit. <laughs> and then our last one. Uh, that was a that was, he was we named him Buddy. He was he was the laziest dog I've ever had. Uh, he he could be playful, and he but beautiful. He, Buddy was the most beautiful dachshund I've ever seen. He was actually blonde, and his ears were um, multicolored, like black black to blonde. So, yeah, what are they called? An ombre, an ombre ear. It, like you would pay extra to look like this. He was he was a handsome dude, but uh, weird. He had he had a rare rare and weird cancer that was inoperable, and uh, yeah, we didn't we only had him for a couple of years. But he was a he was a sweet dog, uh, always there for you. Loved to be on the couch with you, and then when you left, he would just wait on <laughs> he would just wait there for you. It never he never. Never had a vice. We rescued them all, so uh, we never had any of them from a puppy. But, uh, yeah, Buddy Buddy was a sweet dog. He was a good boy, as we like to say. Anyways, enough about me and my dogs. I think, so in my head, Noah had a few dogs hanging around to take, you know, to take care of, but also to be friends with. They're just, or maybe cats, if you're a cat person. Uh, and maybe a few other things, a few birds. Birds are awesome. Anyways, God remembered him. God took care of them. He spends over a year in the boat. I, I would imagine there was a lot of creaks and, and, and pops and, uh, sounds of, you know, water coming around you and under you and over you. And at some level you're sitting in the boat going, I guess we built it right. Like, I hope we built it right. We didn't actually ever float this thing before. Like, we don't know if it holds water. It should hold water. I mean, we 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 put pitch everywhere. We doubled down on the bottom part. Like, it's... But you didn't know until the water came. So, I would imagine there was a lot of getting to know the boat early on. Wandering from stem to stern. Is that right? From bow to stern. Anyways, wandering around, checking things, looking for things, listening to the rain, listening to the water. But after that, I would imagine after the first couple months, you just kind of got used to it. And there was, you know, some rocking that would occur, but nothing major. It was probably very stable in the water as far as uh, engineers tell us that this was the best type of boat for what it needed to do. The, the internal uh, processing of people on the boat had to be fascinating as well. You're on there, and I'm sure that at some level you're, you're glad. Like once all the water comes and you realize everyone's dead, you think, wow, I survived. And then I, I have a feeling most of them had to process at some point the idea of being the, the only survivors. <clears throat> I mean, Noah was considered righteous, but that doesn't mean that he was he was perfect and the family wasn't perfect. I'm sure that the family that was survive, that did survive, the eight of them there, I'm sure got very, very close. 
but they also had memories of extended family that didn't make it. And God, God would have cared about all of this. God would have been there for all of this. God would have wanted to interact and help them process all of this. Now, the enemy would have wanted them to die, and I, I have no doubt that the enemy knew that these guys got out. He, he, he really thought that he could wipe them out. I think that's why the, the violence of the water was so intense is because at some level, I think the enemy was hoping to flip this barge so that he could he could also take out the only rescue plan that God had provided, but it didn't happen. And I, I I just think internally, it had to be difficult to be on that boat. Now, on a practical level, did they get tired of of food? I don't know. I don't know. It's, you know, did they go on the cruise for the food? Probably not. I mean, we do nowadays, but. I don't, I don't think that was the plan. The plan, like the, I, at some level, I think they had a survivor's mentality. I'm sure at first they felt really good about it, and then they felt really bad about it. And then they would, they would talk through that. Like, what do you do? And then there were tons of animals to go explore and interact with. And even if, even if the big ones were all asleep, how fascinating would it have been to walk through the various decks and look at everything and and touch it and pet it. And these things were not aggressive. At the very least, I mean at the at the most they were they were asleep, but at least they they weren't aggressive. They weren't <clears throat> yeah, they weren't gonna you know haul off and bite you or scratch you or attack you. So the understanding of how these things uh, live and breathe just to walk around and examine had to be you know, a fascinating study for a year. But God would have cared about all this. And, the, you know, the enemy, on the flip side, the enemy's trying to get Noah to give up. He wants them to feel guilty. He wants them to uh, to emotionally give up and just jump off the boat and die. But God had a, you know, had a perfect strategy for the long-term survival of, of humanity. God, God knew, listen, his, his goodness never ends. His goodness is always there. Regardless of your circumstances, his goodness never disappears. And I think it, at, at the core level, Noah and his family understood that even though they might have had bad days, even though there were times that that they were incredibly sad over the friends that weren't going to, that, that definitely didn't survive, over other family members who didn't survive. I'm sure they were, you know, sad about that. But but internally they knew the good, they were literally living in the goodness of God. They were able to find thankfulness and hope in the fact that they were going to survive and they would have children what would the world look like? I have no I have also no doubt that they were thinking, I hope it doesn't look like it it did. The evil that was continually going on was it was horrific. They did not want a world. They did not want to go back to that world. 
Now, to go back to something familiar, like uh, visually, I, I'm sure they were wondering about that. Like, would, like, did the water wipe out all those massive cities? Like, could it knock down the walls? Uh, I, I would imagine some of them were probably thinking, no, no, there's no way you wipe out that wall. Like, that wall or that tower, that building, there's no way you wipe that out. But you wouldn't know until this until the rain ends 40 days and when it ends how quickly do you start to process like uh are we getting off this thing where where are we going how long are we gonna sit here i'm sure when the rain ended at some level you probably thought it's over awesome it's over we've only been here you know 40 days <clears throat> in essence a couple months we're going to be good. This is all good. We're going to get out of here. And then you wait. Another 40 days and another 40 days and another 40 days and another 40 days. And this, this is where I think internally it becomes insane. But this is where I think the enemy was really active, trying to make sure that these guys would never survive. Remember, he didn't want mankind to survive. He didn't want the earth to ever recover. And I, 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 I don't know all of the spiritual ramifications, but there was some, some sort of activity that he had a right to perform on the death of everybody except for Noah and his family because Noah and his family chose to enter into the ark. Noah, Noah and his family chose to do what God had asked them to do. And Noah and his family made that offer available to anyone in the world who wanted to join them. But they were the only ones who actually made that choice. And so there was something there that, that until you know uh, the enemy gave up, then the waters were going to stay on the earth. That's what I think. But when the enemy backed down, when he finally said, all right, I, I'm satisfied. It says in verse, uh, oh, what, what verse are we in? There it is. Oh, still verse one. Oh, wow. We have not moved far at all. He sent a wind over the earth and the waters receded. Now God sent a wind I, I, you got to break that word down because that, like, typically we think if we just read it in the natural, we think a wind. Well, that makes sense. Like, send a wind, the, the earth dries up. That's what wind does. It picks up the moisture, takes it up into the sky, yada, yada, yada. We're all good. But that word wind is the word spirit. It's this, it's never used as a like a depersonalized force it's never used to mean just a breeze it's always meant to be used as the breath of god it means that it's animated it's moving with purpose it has a job to do it's literally a gift uh it, it uh it's this <laughs> It's a gift from 
the the heart of God. Uh, another another way that it, another another way to translate that word is the seat of God's emotions. His moral character, his prophetic spirit, his desire. This is literally the third person of the Trinity. That's who God sends over the earth. And the waters receded. You see, it, it wasn't just a blow dryer that was that was turned on and God's like, okay, this is going to take a while. He literally sent himself. He showed up on earth again. Just like at creation, he sends his, he shows up on earth and he says, All right, I'm going to actively recede these waters. This is where I believe uh, the, the phrasing where it says, the, uh, I think, well, we'll probably get it to it to the, to the next one, but the, the mountains of the earth were brought up, the valleys of the earth were brought down. This is the active receding of the air. This is uh, of the water, sorry. This is where um, I believe the polar caps were developed. Deep, deep canyons as the water rushed out of the, uh, you know, off the land and into the, into the oceans. The entire world was kind of reconfigured under, this, under the, the, the power of the Spirit of God. And this was the response of God to the loss of so many who were, you know, who were on earth. He gave of himself to dry up the land. He shut up the springs. He shut the, the, the gates. What, what, how does it say? The floodgates of the heaven had been closed. He stopped the rain from falling from the sky. When the, when the enemy backed down, when the enemy was satisfied with what he had accomplished, God was able to come in. He was like, "All right, now I now it's now it's mine again." He thinks he thinks he's won. He thinks that there's no way that Adam or that Adam that Noah and his family are going to survive when they get back on land. But I have hope. I have hope. You see, God honored the choice of man. He honored the legal. Ram, uh, legal uh, access that the enemy had to destroy the land. But when that was lifted, when the enemy receded or rescinded and said, all right, everyone's dead, everything's dead. I have no more legal right to be here because Noah and his family have refused to give me access. I've got to go. And God's like, awesome. I'll take over now. I'll step back into my creation. I will bring myself into this picture over the whole earth again. And I will reconfigure it in such a way that all this water has a place to go. And that's what he did. It's, it's a beautiful thing. Because you remember, God offered everyone a way out. God offered everyone the opportunity of repentance. And that goes all the way back to, remember, Adam and Eve. He offered Adam and Eve an opportunity to repent. And they never did. He offered Cain an opportunity to repent. And in the end, he, you know, he protected uh, Adam and Eve, and he protected Cain. He's a God of goodness and a God of love. 
a God of grace. He's not, he's not balanced. He's completely <laughs> out of balance when it comes to, <laughs> when it comes to goodness. He's not, you know, good and bad. He's not love and hate. He's not grace and judgment. God was waiting with his goodness, his moral character, his spirit. He was waiting for the enemy to rescind. And once he did, his spirit came in to start cleaning, start cleaning things up. Because God was full of hope for the future of mankind on this earth. He was full of hope. Listen, if God wasn't full of hope in this moment, he would have... <laughs> He wouldn't have stepped in. He would have just, he could have, you know, let's say he didn't want to kill Noah because he was righteous. He could have just said, you know what, Noah, boom, like I'm going to, I'm going to take you somewhere else. I'm going to lift you out of this planet. I'm going to put you on another spiritual plane. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to create something else in the universe and I'm going to put you there. He didn't have to rescue all of the animals, uh, you know, uh, three pairs of the clean ones and one pair of the unclean ones. He he could have just said, listen, I, I, I can start over like any artist. I can just wipe it clean and we'll just start over. He didn't because God is a God of hope. That's what love does. Love looks at, at one family out of the whole planet and says, I, I, could, I could see this happening. You give me a chance, I can see this happening. I'm going to make this happen. This is going to be awesome. And I don't mean make it happen with that aggression like like a lot of uh, uh, you know business mindsets are. Make it happen. I don't care what it takes. Manipulate, you know, uh, force, uh, whatever. Whatever it takes. Do whatever it takes. I need this now. I don't think God God looks at it and says, I can make this happen. He knows what love can do. His sovereignty understands everything that could possibly happen, and he sees the good thing happening all the way. He looks at Noah and his family and says, we can start over. We can start over. I, I don't know, uh, you know how Noah and his family processed that. I'm sure at some point, uh, like I said, I, I think they were excited by the fact that they survived, and then, and then they had to sit back and think, good grief, the whole week. We got to do this all? <laughs> the survival of the planet is literally on the eight of us? Like what in the world are we thinking? How, how are we going to do it? I mean, those conversations, I'd, I'd have those conversations. But what they always were able to come back to was God believes in us. God has hope for us. God's has has favor on us. God rescued us for a reason. God can do this. Now I know that that a lot of people like to you know dump on God. God gets you know credit for not stepping in and stopping the flood. Why did God allow the flood? Why did God not stop the flood? Why did God not you know why uh, you know kill all these people? I don't think he did because he doesn't create puppets and he won't control people. But he will provide options. He will provide places of hope. He will provide places of restoration, of repentance. God is a God of possibility. 
He's not a God of planned, you know, sovereignty. I don't think he planned to kill everybody, but he knew it was possible that they would all choose the way of death rather than the way of life. He knew it was possible, but he's always filled with hope. And he always has a plan of rescue. And he always has a plan of restoration. And that's the story of, of Noah and the ark. That's the story. It's the story of hope. I know a lot of people use it as a story of don't, you know, don't become uh, like the days of Noah or God will, will you know, will wipe us all out again. And there's many who use this passage to say the world is worse than it was in the days of Noah. God's going to come through and he's going to destroy everybody. You know, get right with God because his destruction is on the way. I don't see that here because I see the God of creation. I go back to the beginning and I see a God of light and love and hope. And that's the God that I, I have to bring to these stories. And I look at the life of Jesus and I say, there's a God who, who was showing us what the Father was like because so many had, had so twisted the view of the Father that Jesus was like, you need to understand what I'm like. I'm a God of hope and of love and of rescue. And I will do anything to provide a way out from the destruction of, of the evil one. And that, <laughs> I'm going to end there because that's just a good thought right there. You're in a dark spot. You think you're surrounded. You're not. God's goodness is right there. He will send literally himself to push back the flood and provide hope for you. We did two verses today, Bob. <laughs> Tomorrow, to next, the next one, we're going to do better the next one. All right, we'll, we'll try and get through a lot more on the next one. Ladies and gentlemen, thanks again so much for coming and hanging out with us on The Epic Narrative. Don't go anywhere. We've got Bob Thoughts. Hey, everyone. <laughs> thanks so much again. You know what I, I find interesting is when I listen to these episodes, I can tell in my, just by listening to myself, I can tell what about what time of day it was when I did those recordings. And like this week's, I definitely did that one. Like it had to be like 5.30 a.m., maybe 6 a.m. I could hear it in my voice. I, I just, I, I don't know. <laughs> I'm just curious if you guys notice it or if it's just me. I'm guessing uh, Brian notices it pretty easily because he has such sensitive ears because he listens so closely to me every single week. But uh, anyway, <laughs> on, with my, on with my thoughts. Um, was God happy with the destruction of the earth because of all the evil that had occurred on the earth? And that's a categorically, absolutely positive no. There's no way he was happy about it. I do know that there are preachers who... who present God that way, who present him as somebody who he's looking around and he sees what's going on and he's like, all right, you know, I'm going to put an end to this because there is 
there is no way I can put you know put up with this anymore and and he was happy to start over with quote righteous the righteous uh, family of Noah. But as you'll see, as the story goes on, I mean, Noah had problems. There's no way that he was like this pure person, uh, you know, but we'll get into that in future episodes. <laughs> oh, glory. It's just fascinating to me how people will take a piece of a story and turn it into a theology or turn it into a character assessment of who God is. And I I love doing the epic narrative because it gives me a chance to really tell the whole story and then use those aspects to look at God's character. And God is not, not happy about the destruction of the earth at this point. What he is happy about is the opportunity he gave everyone to be rescued off the earth and the, and the thwarting of the enemy's plan to destroy the entire earth and all the living things in it. As I said last week, I think I think God's plan, because of how long it took him to do it, caught the enemy by surprise. And when the enemy started ramping things up, God loaded Noah, loaded the animals, and then put them out there. Now, did he know when, when the flood was going to end, 40 days, 40 nights? I have no idea. Maybe... Maybe the springs of the earth were out of water. Maybe the, the, the what they, they call that canopy that surrounded the earth that created like a greenhouse effect on the earth. Maybe that was out of water. And 40 days, 40 nights, it stopped. So then what happened? Right? Then he floated. There was, there was a, it was going to take a long time. But, but as I said today, the spirit of the Lord was there. The spirit of the Lord literally was drying up the land. It was blowing it was it was creating it was reestablishing earth as we now know it i find that i find that amazing right the character of god that says i'm going to take something that the enemy meant for evil and i'm going to turn it into something good i'm going to literally recreate the earth with my spirit as the floodwaters dissipate because i'm going to put them all somewhere i'm not going to let like uh Sorry, these thoughts are coming fast. I'm not going to let the plan of the enemy, which was to bury the earth underwater, probably thinking, even if Noah survives, eventually he'll run out of food, everybody dies. So when he stops the flood, when he stops flooding the earth, his thought is, this planet's done. I don't care how long Noah can float. Eventually he's going to die. And the, and the enemy walks away and God God brings his spirit in and literally starts recreating. He starts pushing the valleys down. He starts pushing the, the mountains up. He starts, um, some even say the, the tilt of the axis occurred at this time, that before the flood, the earth was straight up and down on its axis, but the slight curvature occurred because of the weight of the water falling on it. So maybe I just look at all of that. God's like, God, the enemy meant it for evil. I'm going to turn it into something good. I'm going to turn it into something that that man can live on, that all these animals can live on. I'm going to put the water somewhere and literally reform and reshape the the earth, the actual land mass to a place where everything can survive. I to me that's the heart of God. That's the character of God we should be pulling out of this, not some maniacal genocidal schizophrenic, I know I use all those words all the time, right? But 
so many preachers, right, present God like this, like he's happy that he destroyed everything, that he can finally start over. And I don't think he was. I think he was sad. I think he was heartbroken. But when the enemy, you know, was done with his destruction, the Spirit of God, literal Holy Spirit, shows up and says, let's let's take what was evil and turn it into something good. That's the character of God. That's the beauty of God. And those are my thoughts for today, everyone. <laughs> I can go on and on. Literally, I, I can preach this for 20 minutes. There's just no need. You imagine it. You think it through. You put it together because that's the God we serve. That's the God that we love. That's the God that we are children of. And we get the opportunity to represent here on this earth. Take what the enemy meant for evil and turn it into something good. Have a great day, everyone. I'll see you next week on The Epic Narrative. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, you can subscribe to this podcast on any platform you use. You can also reach out to Bob for questions or booking at thebobswitzer.com or email him at thebobswitzer at gmail.com. See you next week, guys.